0: Eagles Entertainment. Anything that move, I don't of do Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown!
1: You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another day, and we've got our first game recap as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 470 at the top of today's show. We've got Chalk Talk where I chat with my friend Greg Cosell about the Eagles and their win over the New England Patriots in week one, 25-20 to up in Foxborough. The defensive front was outstanding. We're going to talk about the offensive performance, Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and everybody on that side of the ball, the offensive line. Uh, you know, Obviously, look, there's a lot of talk about, like, oh, Dallas Scottard, no touches. DeAndre Swift, only two touches. Remember back to last year, right? We remember back to week one last year. De- uh, uh, Devontae Smith had zero catches against the Detroit Lions. It was a little bit of a sloppy performance out in Detroit, but the Eagles came away with a win. One game. Let's uh, we'll pump the brakes a little bit. So we'll talk with uh, with Greg about uh, both sides of the ball in the Week One win over New England. Then we'll turn our attention to Thursday night's opponent, the Minnesota Vikings, a new look Vikings team on both sides of the ball. We'll get into why there in that discussion with Greg. Before we get there, a couple things we want to make sure we always hit on. Number one, head on over to our Apple Podcast page. If you can, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you've got a question, we'll answer it here on the show. We've got one uh, that we're going to answer later in this episode. And make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Also, I want to make sure you head on over to our Eagles YouTube page or to PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app. Make sure you check out all of our X's Nose content, Eagles Game Plan. I thought it was off to a really good start uh, last week. I mean, Ike Reese making a prediction on the show that Darius Slay was going to have a pick six, and he comes through and he scores the first touchdown for the Eagles in the 2023 season. Uh, you're not getting that anywhere else except for Eagles game plan. Uh, loved uh, having Ike go through that. But uh, my All-22 review with the Eagles win over the, the, uh, the New England Patriots, all about the defense, uh, especially the defensive front. That is going to be dropping here. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it should be up on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Obviously, I'll be posting some of those clips on my Twitter page as well. So uh, that said, after you go check all that stuff out, now you can listen to, uh, to Greg and I. Uh, it's time now for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, as promised, here to deliver is our friend Greg Cosell. Greg, it's uh, it's Monday night. Uh, we've been through the film on both sides for the Eagles. We've watched down the Vikings. They take the field together in three days' time. Uh, we've got a lot to cover here, and not a lot of time we've had to, to boil over all of the, the film <laughs> that we've watched in the last 12 hours or so.
0: You know, this film is, is getting harder and harder, friend. because here's the problem. You know, I, I was so fortunate this offseason to talk to a lot of coaches, and unfortunately I learned Way too much. (laughs) So now when I watch the film, it's like, okay, I see more than I ever saw before and feel like I understand it even better. So I have to keep watching these plays over and over. And it's taken me longer to get through the film.
1: No, and that's the thing is, that, and that's one of the things I love most about the process and like, you know, just what we continue to do year after year after year is that you're not, you're never through like learning about the game. Oh, you know, God, no. It's not even close. Right. I mean, so uh, being able to continue to fine tune and add to, to the arsenal is always fun. And so um, I'm excited for you to be able to share uh, some of those nuggets here, uh, not just tonight, but in the weeks to come. Um, that's it. Let's get, let's get into this game. OK, I felt a little, let's start Eagles defense uh, going up against the uh, yeah. uh, against the uh, the New England offense, because um, to me, that was the, the story of the game. Looking at the defensive front was the way that those guys ah. performed, uh, certainly on the interior. And we talked last week, you know, getting into that game my discussion with you uh, talking with Phil Perry and with Ross Tucker late in the week last week, that Patriots offensive line, they were banged up all through the summer. What was that combination going to be like? They end up losing both of their starting guards. Both guys were inactive on and Cole Strange. And so they had to start the two rookies on the inside, two rookie day three picks. And you're like, okay, that's a matchup. You hope that the Eagles are able to take advantage of. And they took advantage because those defensive tackles did a lot of work on Sunday.
0: Oh, you know, watching the Eagles defense, and I, I kept talking to the guys here in the matchup room with me that this D line is so good and so deep and, you know, obviously, there's certain players to speak individually about. Um, and we'll get to those guys in a second. But I want to mention one that's probably not going to be talked about a lot. But I really enjoyed watching him. And that was Milton Williams. Milton Williams.
1: Love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, obviously, we're going to get to, to, to uh, Davis. And we're going to get to Carter. And by the way, we're going to get to Fletcher Cox, who played 50 snaps yep. at a pretty high level. But, but Milton Williams, you know he played predominantly, uh, on past plays. Uh, but I think he had seven or eight snaps versus the run. And there were a number of those run snaps where he just held up really well at the point of attack, strength, um, power played off blocks and made plays. And, and he really stood out to me and you and I have liked him from the moment the Eagles drafted and we liked him when we watched him in college. Right. Um, and I, you know, he's, I said to one of my guys, I said, if he was on a different team, he'd be a starting D tackle.
1: So you mentioned, you said he, he had five snaps or seven snaps against the run. Uh, Something like it. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah.
0: He, but most of his snaps came against the pass. So
1: uh, he had, uh, so I, someone you know, I look at a, a handful of stats just from PFF. You, you know, you look at some of those yeah. numbers over the course. And one of the things that I was just looking at, like, okay, from the defense who led them in run stuffs, like in uh, tackles against the run, essentially millen williams had four so for yeah. to, to be so impactful on a limited number of snaps i, I think that speaks to you know uh to, to the impact that oh. he had and i to, to me too like he was going up against trent brown who outweighs him by i don't know like, you know trent brown right. is one of the bigger offensive linemen in football no. uh and so to, to watch that uh was really really impressive
0: no i really enjoyed watching him and and i mean obviously you have to get to the other guys but the other one that really impressed me, who maybe at this point in his career, people don't think of him the way they did four, five, six, seven years ago. But, you know, Fletcher Cox played 50 snaps, okay? Led and the group of defensive tackles, yep. And that's a lot of snaps for someone his age and, you know, with his experience, particularly when they have other players who are younger. And again, I thought he played very well, um, you know, both... As a pass rusher and in the run game. And the other thing that stood out to me before we get to Carter and Davis, because I definitely want to speak about those two players, um, but, uh, and and you would know this more because you have these particular stats. I thought you saw a lot more stunting from a Sean Desai defense than you did from a Jonathan Gannon defense. Does that hold up with with Um, the numbers? So give me one second and I can, uh, I
1: can try and tell you, I would say anecdotally. Yes. Uh, give me, give me a minute or so. If you want to start talking about Carter and about, uh, uh about. Yeah, Davis, well, I was going to say go that, out. you know,
0: obviously, obviously everybody wanted to talk about Carter, you know, just because, you know, he was arguably the best prospect in the draft and would certainly would have been a top three pick if he had no off the field blemishes, yep. um, you know, you're dealing with just, I mean, I don't know what to say. We've talked about him a lot, and you saw every single trait that w- that was present. I mean, the guy is just a dominant, dominant force. He's got short-area explosiveness, consistently showed the hand strength and body power to initiate and play off contact. He's got great quickness. Uh, the thing that really stood out to me was just that explosive power in such a small, confined space, you know, Cause when he, and, there, and and this is when I kept thinking of the stunts because he was the penetrator in a number of stunts where, and by the penetrator, I mean, TE stunts where the tackle goes first and the end loops around him. So he would be the tackle and he would just, you know, he would just shoot into the, the offensive tackle so that the Eagles DN could loop around him and his ability to just generate incredible velocity and power in such a short space. I think that's that's special. so uh real quick so
1: last year going into the Super Bowl uh so this is including the the two p- postseason games as well the Eagles stunted on 13.9 percent of their snaps so that was dead last in the NFL 30 second in the league uh and obviously that was a working formula for them uh, considering they had 70 sacks last year right right that um, that
0: seemed was, to work out okay last year yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah but uh they were dead last in the league and stunt percentage 13.9 percent on Sunday they doubled that number, 26.7%, uh, uh, ranked 15th in the NFL in week one before going into Monday Night Football. So right right at the middle of the pack there uh, for the Eagles. Yeah, so, yes, I don't have you know, an uptick there in stunts. Because you
0: have more info working for a team than I'm able to get even through websites. You know, you just obviously you, you work for a team. Uh, but anecdotally, watching the tape, that seemed to me to be the case. So I'm glad it holds up. So at least I feel like I still know what I'm looking at once in a while, you know?
1: Yeah, well that's still up for, up for debate. Uh I think the I think the, uh, the the big thing too with Carter is you know you talked about like that suddenness and that ability to transition to his power so fast. Oh that's what that's one of the things that i've loved watching him like go even watching him in training camp like going through one-on-ones and watching him in team drills is that you know he's working a couple different moves certainly he's got a couple go-to's right he he's wor- he's worked that club swim that first yeah. pressure he had on third down in this game showed up he was able to get home and impact mac jones forcing incomplete pass that's exactly yeah. what he did in the preseason opener uh against the baltimore ravens on that big one right it was that, that club swim off the ball uh where he's able to win inside so he, he's got like some go-to moves and what i like is that he's also showing that ability to start to string moves together which for a 21 year old kind of a, a raw player with his tools that's just really really impressive to see i think that a lot of people might look at him and say like oh he is like a raw like ball of clay i think he's got a little bit more like fbi and feel and like instinct for the game than i think that maybe everyone kind of gave him credit for uh coming into the nfl and i think that's starting to show up he oh i he's agree. impressive
0: I didn't think he was a one trick pony at all watching him yeah. at Georgia when it came to pass rush. I mean, there's always more to learn, there's more to refine. We all of know course. that no one comes into the league, no matter how good you are as a prospect, as a finished player. But I did not think he was a one trick pony at all at Georgia.
1: Yeah, uh, he showed he had seven uh pressures total, uh, according to PFF, uh, on Sunday. Uh, Greg, that led all defensive tackles in the NFL uh, in uh, in Week One. So, uh, <laughs> well, a, I guess a
0: good debut. <laughs> I, I guess that's pretty good. You that's know. pretty good. Um, all um, right, so let's go to Jordan, Jordan Davis. Davis. You got, we yeah. got to mention Jordan Davis because I thought two things stood out in the run game. Uh, uh, Davis really was strong and difficult to move at the point of attack, both stalemating and defeating one-on-one blocks. Yep. And I thought Kobe Dean, and it's really a shame that he got hurt but I thought he played downhill with juice and aggressiveness, you know, and he's small and he looks like a 10th grader out there when he's, you know, when a play ends and you're just seeing him stand next to everybody else, he looks like a 10th grader, but I just really liked the way he played. And it's a shame. He'll probably miss, a, you know, a good month, give or take. But I thought that Davis, he played on three third downs, but he ended up playing 35 snaps. Um, so a good number of those were pass rush plays as well. Yep, not it a lot of just, rushes. Yes. It wasn't just run defense. Um, In fact, uh, he played more pass rush snaps than run defense snaps. And I thought you started to see the lateral quickness, the athleticism. He's, you know, I felt like he's starting to to get it and to put it together. Um, You know, obviously, he's a big, big man who has power in him. Um, He may never be the kind of guy where you say, wow, look how flexible that body is. I doubt he'll be that guy. But I felt like you started to see the kinds of things you're really hoping for when the Eagles drafted him. And now we'll see how it continues going forward.
1: Yeah, I think the the big thing you were starting to see, there was one, I I believe it was like an arm over move. He he worked worked in a couple of different cross chops where you see like that ability to win fast and then he just kind of lost juice at the end, like in that second phase of the rush. So to me, like looking at uh, how he's able to continue to build off that, that wasn't there last year. We didn't always see that. So, all right, now the step two is, all right, show some some of those quick wins and continue to build. And I think that's one of the things we would like to
0: see. I just thought, Fran, there was clear improvement in his movement from 2022. Like, that stood out to me. You know, I, you're hitting it right on the head. Now the next step is, after the first move, what's next? And, you yeah. know, he's probably never had to do that in his life because he's been big and a great athlete. So he's never had to really string moves together and learn how to be a refined pass rusher. But given what what we saw um, on Sunday, you know, I think that it it's a real positive step in the right direction. And... To me, the most positive step is he played 35 snaps
1: because yeah. you and
0: I both know he wasn't drafted to play 20 snaps.
1: Right. And those those run game snaps. I mean, he is just so he he overwhelms centers. That's, At times, yes. When you watch some, those guys like, plays, like yes. they're holding on for dear life, you see them like uh, kind of like flailing their arms. They, like, they're they unable to, to gain control of the rep uh, when he's locked in. And so, no, I um, would
0: agree. He 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 really stood out to me as well. I thought he really he really had a strong game overall.
1: Yeah, right, let's go through the, the rest of this defensive front. Uh, Josh Sweat shows up half a sack. I thought that he had some good battles with Trent Brown on one side. Reddick got close a couple of times. Oh, Reddick's really so
0: fun to watch, though. I mean, he yep. just knows how to rush the quarterback. Yeah,
1: uh, so uh, watch him there. Uh, Brandon Graham got some looks inside and outside. Uh, he, had a, he had a couple big hits on, uh, on Mac Jones as well. Uh, so Brandon Graham still bringing it uh, off the edge.
0: Yeah. Well, the the other point that I that I think, you know, needs to be made is the Eagles. And again, now I'm thinking back to last year and maybe you'll disagree and because, you know, you're you, you focus far more on the, the Eagles solely than I do because I'm trying to deal with every team. But I thought they were more multiple with their front alignments and deployment of personnel in this game than they were overall a year ago. Now, yeah. there may have been games or, or situations where they, they were that a year ago with Jonathan Gannon. But it just struck me that you, there seemed to be more multiplicity in their deployment of personnel. Now, yeah. Yeah, again, you, you know, you tell me. But that that's, again, I'm seeing that just watching the tape. I'm not looking at numbers.
1: Yep. I think that that's a a big thing in terms of, you know, people talk about like aggression and what does that mean? And yeah, like they they sent a decent amount of blitzes. You saw safeties coming from depth. You saw linebackers inserting into the pressure scheme, right? So you you saw that, but there are a lot of other ways that you can like be aggressive and try and dictate to opposing offenses. And I thought that you saw uh, hints of that yesterday in that game and, and yet, look yesterday was a, a little bit of a weird game on both sides you know you're dealing with the weather especially early in the first quarter uh you know obviously look guys getting used to uh playing in a new scheme so uh there's there's a little bit of like a, a walk before you run element sure. uh, with this unit but um yeah i thought t- to your point i thought we saw them diversify the way they were using these guys and they've got guys that can do a lot of different things you have brandon graham and nolan smith and you know hassan reddick and josh sweat guys like milton williams guys that can line up at a couple different spots and win uh and do
0: different things for you which will be fun to watch yeah and it'll be interesting to see nolan smith who only played seven snaps how that progresses yes Um, you know obviously he didn't he wasn't a factor in the game and that's not his fault he played seven snaps you know but um i'm curious to see as we go forward we won't know that till we play more games yep Derek barnett had some had some nice rushes i'm just looking at the rest of the depth chart he showed up too i mean again and and he played what about 15 16 snaps i mean he did like that. that yep you know, relatively meaningful snaps, most of them pass rush. Um, and again, he may never have developed into the star that everybody thought he might when he got drafted. Um, but, you know, I thought he showed up and there, there were there were there were a reps in which he said, oh, there's Derek Barnett. Mm. Well, let's go to uh, the second level. You talked about N'Kobe Dean. I did think that he showed
1: up, uh, you know, he flashed downhill a couple of times, some really good fills uh, against the run. So, um, you know, that's something that they're going to miss, certainly, is continue to watch him develop. Hopefully, he's able to get back on the field sooner rather than later. Uh, Nick Sirianni uh, confirming the report uh, that he's going to miss some time with with a foot injury. Uh, No word yet if that means a a trip to injured reserve. That might change by the time you were listening to this podcast. But as we sit here Monday night, uh, no roster move yet to be made before thursday um the other injury news uh james bradbury in the concussion protocol yeah historically for a thursday a sunday to thursday turnaround in the protocol that that is pretty rare for a guy to be able to get cleared by the time we get to thursday greg but uh, i guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see but i think if, i thought if, we saw more if, of the if, same from Slay and if bradbury it's no
0: would that be josh Job?
1: I think so. Yeah, it would be uh, Josh Jobs, second-year corner, uh, former undrafted free agent out of Alabama, uh, made the team last year. Um, it was primarily like inactive, special-teamer, developmental type of player. And, um, you know, he, he got some snaps at the end
0: of the game yesterday and showed up on special teams as a gunner uh, as well. You know, not that I'm hoping Bradbury's hurt, you know. <laughs> and he, yeah, right. But, I mean, assuming he, history tells us it's not likely he's going to go, as you said, I'm, I'm very anxious to see Joe because – I think you and I would both agree that if you're just speaking about talent, he deserved to be drafted. Um, I don't know why he wasn't. You know, I'm not interviewing him. I'm not digging into his background like teams do um, with all the other things that are involved with that. But I thought, you know, I actually thought he was probably better the year prior to his last year at Alabama in terms of his tape. But there's no question with his size, his movement, his physicality, his competitiveness, that he was more than a draftable player. And yeah. I'm very curious to see now, if he were to get a chance to line up and play, um, you know, and we'll see how, how the uh, um, Eagles decide to match up, which we'll get to, to arguably the best receiver in football, but they also have Jordan Anderson and KJ Osborne who are not, you know, not stiff. Wow, so yep. it would be interesting to see Joe in that situation where uh, they face a team that's likely to throw the ball a little bit.
1: Well let's talk about the back end here a little bit overall, because we'll talk about what they did Sunday and, and soon we'll talk about this this matchup here Thursday night. But um it, certainly the back end made some plays, right? We saw the Darius Slay pick six, happen on a tip drill. They were playing uh cover three and uh the ball got tipped up in the air off an Aaron and throw uh and Slay took it back to the house. First touchdown of the year for uh for the uh the Philadelphia Eagles comes via the hands of Darius Slay. But um certainly some plays where the things kind of broke down on the back end as well. What were your thoughts in terms of New England's plan of attack? in the past game and some of the things that broke down for the Eagles in the back end.
0: Well, I guess what, what I was curious about, and we don't know the answer to this new England does, but they're not going to make a public announcement. Um, I, I would have thought, and maybe the score dictated otherwise that we would have seen a lot more 12 personnel. Yeah. Um, but they did ended up not doing that, and maybe getting down 16 nothing quick made you know Bill O'Brien think that hey we have to put more 11 personnel out there because I was thinking they'd play more 12 with Gusecki and Henry. They did play some snaps of 13, adding Faro Brown. But I would have thought you would have seen more of that um, because Bill O'Brien is well known to be uh, to play a lot of empty sets, which he did not do that much in this game. But empty at a base, which really allows you to get a a real feel for what the defense is going to do. And, you know, and I don't think they got that feel and they didn't do that very much. Um, Again, you can tell me, but I thought the Eagles, uh, you know, relative to what we saw a year ago, I thought they were more multiple with their coverages as well. Uh, You know, there were times where there were the they would play one coverage concept to the boundary and a different coverage concept to the field. You know, and they did that quite a bit. I mean, we all think of quarter, quarter, half. We kind of know about that one, but there were times I thought they played man to the boundary and zone to the field. Um, you know, I just thought there was more in terms of what they did. Did you get that same feeling?
1: Yeah, they definitely, uh, mixed things up from that standpoint. I mean, they were there, if you're breaking it down into like the root coverages of like cover three, cover one, cover four, you know, they they played four different coverages at least 10% of the time so really yeah. kind of mixing things up um you know and, and none of them I think yeah the, the, they played mostly cover three 29.5 which even still like when relative to the NFL that's kind of like middle of the pack so I think that kind of speaks to the fact that they really mixed things up uh on the back end there was plenty of cover one a lot of cover six as you mentioned uh there's there was some cover four in there there was some cover two in there yeah. so um I think that when you look at the way that they want to play there' was some cover zero uh as well uh so they're, they're they're gonna definitely mix things up from that end of it and I think that speaks to uh also what we were talking about earlier, like diversifying the personnel and the way that you're deploying those guys formationally and like role wise, but then also like on the coverage end of things from a pressure side of things. All right, we're going to mix in more stunts. Like yeah. now you're kind of expanding the Rolodex a little bit and keeping opposing offenses guessing.
0: Yep. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it just, I felt overall that Sean decide and it was week one. So you could start even seeing more, you know, but yep. I thought that there was just a lot of multiplicity in what they did up front, what they did on the back end. And uh, I kind of liked it. I mean, you have to coach that up and guys can't make mistakes. And, you know, I don't think there were really many mistakes, but, you know, maybe you saw things a little differently. I mean, I don't think they were glaring. Oh, my God, that's a screw up. And that better not have, you know. I mean, yeah. You know, it I'm was- sure there, as you know, the coaches are charting everything. You know, we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, we can't do it the way coaches do. But it didn't seem glaring to me.
1: No, there was not that one where I was like, "Oh man, that's a terrible bust." There, right? I think there were some miscommunications, especially when it came to like some of the bunch looks and so you know some of the things where uh, they were they were able to like kind of go empty and and spread you out a little bit. They ran eleven empty snaps, so it wasn't like. A, a ton, but still like a, you know, a decent amount, um, you know, over the course of the game. So they, I think they found ways to try and create some matchups there, find some ways to create some, uh, some easy completions, a ton of screens. Uh, what did they end up, What did they end up going? Uh, uh, I'm trying to pull the the numbers up here. They they ran a lot of screens, in New England. So, uh, which we talked about last week, right? right. That was something that we anticipated uh, as being a part of their passing attack. So I think when you look at, um, you know, the way that they're, they wanted to try and approach this game from a new England side of things. Hey, like we're going to create easy completions for Mac Jones. Jones, try and find ways to get the ball out of his hand. I thought the gameplay was pretty good. I mean, they, they mixed in a lot of the 21, uh, the pony sets with, with yeah, Scott, to, Andre and, and Ezekiel Elliott out in the field. And that was not like, run, it was more pass game focus with Zeke as like the movement piece. Uh, and that was an effective tool for them.
0: Although I did love the uh, the 11-yard run by Zeke where it was off inside zone and then it was the toss. I thought yeah, that was a really well-designed concept.
1: That was their longest run of the day. and that's the, know. Thing. The, the run defense was really, really The run really defense strong. was outstanding. Yeah, and that's uh, all those guys up front, and then also at the second level, we talked about N'Kobe Dean playing downhill, uh, Zach Cunningham flash, Christian Ellis had a nice play downhill as well, so um, you're going to need all those guys to continue to show up uh, this week against the Minnesota offense that we will touch on here uh, briefly. Let's go over to the uh, the Eagles' offensive side though before we get to the Vikings and Thursday Night Football. Certainly an uneven performance, right? It was it was not a, a game where you're going to look at and say, oh yeah, like this is the offense that we saw last year uh, here in Philadelphia. It was one, one of their, their worst performances for over the last uh, two or three seasons. That said, uh, you saw some good things. You know, the the, the offensive line that came out, they were able to run the ball early on in the game. Uh, in that in that torrential downpour, that was when the rain was uh, was at its worst. Was early on, uh, so they were able to move the ball. But look, uh, this New England defense, we talked about the challenges that they present uh, in terms of like the the pre-snap disguise and, uh, you know, the the different pressure concepts they, they were able to keep the, uh, the Eagles offense and Jalen Hurts guessing for much of the afternoon.
0: Well, and I think I think Nick Sirianni addressed this, too, if I'm not mistaken. You obviously would be more familiar, but I think I saw something about it today. Um, you know, it almost had the feel and I'm just being honest, you know, like this was the first game for all those guys. And unfortunately it was game one in the regular season. And fortunately they won the game. Yeah. You know, it had the feel that these guys had to work through the game, you know, just to kind of get back in the flow of playing football, you know, real football. And, um, you know, as you said, it certainly wasn't a, a good game overall for the offense. Um, And we'll see what happens Thursday night. And they know that. And I'm sure knowing Jalen Hurts and the way he prepares and thinks, you know, I'm sure he'll be significantly better. And I'm sure he'll make sure that everybody's better. I didn't think the O-line had a real strong game. Um, So, you know, we'll see. But, you know, there's too much of a track record of really quality play to, to come away from that game and think, oh, my God, there's major issues. Uh, The good thing is they won the game and they made a few plays when they needed to. And, uh, you know, obviously there were some really some positive plays. But, you know, overall, you wouldn't say it was a good performance. You know, when I, when I worked at Temple, there was a coach
1: uh, after we would have a, a win where it wasn't always pretty. Right. We would be in the locker room and, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, d- you know getting changed, getting it back into the clothes or get back on the bus. And after a, a win like that, uh, this is a family podcast, so I won't use the exact words, but he would just say, shake his head and say, you know what? It, it beats uh, fe- feeling like junk on Sunday. Uh, right, I right, feel like right, uh, that's right. the thing like, a, uh, yes, like people will call this an ugly win. An ugly win is better than a beautiful loss. And I think you look around the other teams that, by the way, like played, you know, Kansas City, like went through a traditional preseason training camp where they, you know, know, Patrick Mahomes played their whole first half and they didn't play well. No, uh, even, you know, even
0: great players, you know, don't have great games sometimes. And I think people forget that, you know, like Patrick Mahomes did not play well last Thursday night. Jalen Hurts did not have anywhere near one of his better games. That happens sometimes. Um, But my question to you is, were you surprised at the high percentage of 11 personnel, or did you anticipate that? You know, I did. I did
1: not anticipate that, and I, especially with how much New England played, you know, wants to play in their sub. Um, you know, I wondered if that that was going to be something that they were they were going to try and force the issue and say, okay, let's let's get you into some of these base looks. Right, if you, you want to play in sub, or we're going to try and see if you're going to still match us up that way. Uh, in their uh, in you know, in base personnel. Um, so that, that one did catch me because they were it was like eighty seven percent, eleven percent. It was 84, but or 85, majority.
0: but it was, it was high. high. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so no, that, that one did, uh, that did catch me off guard a little bit. Um, you know, we got some answers in terms of like the usage in the backfield. Now, Nick Sirianni did say after the game, like, we don't want to leave a game where DeAndre Swift only touches the ball two times. Um, but Kenny Gainwell certainly, uh, seems to be the guy that they want to kind of, uh, start things off with here in the run game.
0: Yeah. That surprised me as well. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't there every day in camp, so I can't speak to, you know, and I never second guess coaches about that kind of thing. Cause I'm not there, but uh, I think Swift only played 19, uh, snaps. I, I remember he had one phenomenal pass protection block on a yes, blitz. I think it might have been Duggar. Um, yeah. Was it Duggar, if memory yeah. serves me correctly? Yep. I thought he. I thought that was really, really good. But we know he only had two touches, and you know, I, that's not why they got him. Obviously, and well, look, the first week is crazy. Win or lose, you know, you look yes. around the whole NFL the Eagles obviously won. So like you said, with, with the words you can't use, um, that's what you you hope for. And then there's other teams that, you know, it just went really bad and we know that that's not the way it's going to be for them all season, but you know, you just hope you get out of week one with a win.
1: No one thinks that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to look the way they did uh, the rest of the year uh, from what we saw in week one. So no, uh, and they won't and they won't. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. All right, that said, let's get into uh, Thursday night. This is going to be a fun game, and it's fun because, uh, you know, this is a rematch from week two of last year uh, where the Eagles played the Minnesota Vikings on Thursday night football at home in week two, Uh, so we get a replay of that exact dynamic here. But a lot of changes on both sides of the ball for, Min- for Minnesota. Yeah, a little, a little, to get a that little, that little different kind of defense that they'll face in this game. Polar opposite def- yeah. <laughs> defense, there, uh, which is fun. I mean, Greg, I had so much fun watching this Minnesota defense back. Uh, it, they were very aggressive. It took uh, me way too long looks. to watch
0: their defense, Ryan. and way too long. And it just kind of – it was fun. But then I kind of looked at the time and was like, oh, my God, where did my day go, you know? It'll tell,
1: it'll tell us why. Why did they take you so long to watch?
0: Well, because they they there's so much – disguise and, and and they do a lot of the same kind of disguise but you know you still have to work through it yes, i mean right. they must have lined up in the first half in, in a double mug look which means they had two defenders on e- in each a gap you know i don't know how many times I, you maybe you charted it but that seemed to be a staple but rarely did those guys blitz and then they would get to different coverage concepts depending on what the the um distribution of receivers was for the offense for the uh, box offense so you know I, like i said because i've learned so much more about so many things I, I kept watching these plays over and over again and you know all of a sudden i realized got three hours have gone by and i'm you know just in the middle of the fourth quarter you know
1: yeah i, I to me you know going back and watching this group play um you, you mentioned the, the the pre-snap disguise element of it to me uh, on any, we'll say it's third and six, all right? You're Baker Mayfield in week one going up against the Minnesota Vikings, and you come out and you see this double mug front uh, where you've got the double-A gap look with two guys standing up, and there's a third guy standing up over a guard. So you've got six guys down in the line of scrimmage. There's a safety right. creeping over to the right. And at the snap of the ball, you know, uh, four of those guys drop out. Three of those guys drop out. So only three come. It's a three-man
0: rush. Which they and- did a number of times, by the way. Yeah, I mean, and you know, not
1: only that, but you. hey, what was a single high-look pre-snap? It might have been all oh, this might be uh, cover one with a five-man pressure. It could be cover zero. All of a sudden, that's invert cover two with the corners that were playing out, out to the boundary. They were both dropping back to deep safeties. And the safeties are coming down. You're managing through the pressure element of it and then the coverage element of it. And you've got all this speed on the field because they did most of this out of dime. That's just a that's a lot to work through as a quarterback, and so the, the, yeah. for Jalen Hurts and the offensive line, it's going to be a big, big assignment day on third yeah, down. And
0: they played a ton of big nickel. You know that yes. was basically a foundational, um, you know, personnel package because they played Josh Metellus, the uh, third or fourth year player from Michigan, and he, you know, he's a safety. So they played a ton of big nickel. Um, now in the first half, I thought two things really stood out. Yep. The double mug looks at a big nickel and dime and the three man D-line pass rush. It would yes. often be Patrick Jones, the second year player from Pitt, who would drop out into coverage so they'd have eight in zone coverage. Um and that was clearly, you know, their initial game plan. But then in the second half, they did a whole bunch of different things. Yes. <laughs> and and that's the other thing that, you know, makes it really difficult to prepare because I don't want to say they had two totally different game plans, but sometimes it seemed that way.
1: That's the thing is that I think, you know, people might get caught up in some of these numbers. Like if you didn't watch the game, if you're just looking at, oh, well, you know, they only had a sack percentage of this and they only had their pressure percentage is really low. And the QB hit percentage is really low. It's like, yeah, but th- th- this team bought heat and, and really forced the issue uh for uh, for quarterback Baker Mayfield. And, and they're going to do the same. Uh, on and they Thursday got long athletic Hurts.
0: guys like Jones is 6'5". D.J. Wanham, who I always like coming out of South Carolina, and he's turned out to be a really nice player. He's long. We know that Daniel, Daniel Hunter, Hunter is long. Yep. They've got a lot of long, athletic guys. And Marcus Davenport was
1: inactive for this game with an ankle injury. They're thinking, they're hoping that he's going to be good to go for Thursday night. So six, that would six, be another long, athletic so, guy. you know,
0: um, you know, you mentioned a play, and we're going to do this play on Eagles' game plan that third and six in the high red zone, mm-hmm. um, which was a great example of what you just spoke about, Fran, where they started out you know, with the, um, the double mug look um, and it looks like pressure. And particularly when you're in the red zone on third and six, what's the last thing you want a sack with maybe a forced fumble. So, you know, you, you have to think protection first because you don't know who's coming, who's not coming. But the point is, is you have to protect for six because you just don't know. So, so they ended up being in a, in a bunch to the right side of the formation to the wide side of the field. Uh, It was a removed bunch, not a tight bunch. And, and then they brought the tight end in Otten, uh, who was initially split. They brought him in attached to the other side, the boundary side. So they ended up to deal with this front to block with seven primary pass protectors. The five mm. offensive linemen, they kept Otten in and they, and they used the back white as well as a primary pass protector. So they ended up with st- the, the play call ended up having seven in pass protection. But what did the, the Vikings do? The two double mug guys backed out Jones, I believe dropped out. So they ended up with eight in zone coverage because of the pass protectors. There was only one side of the field in which there were receivers. That was the yeah. trip side and they boxed it. That's a, a concept. That's basically four over three. It's referred to as a box concept. So they had four over three Mayfield had no throw and he had no check down, no boundary side because of the, of the protection. And he got stuck in the pocket with no, no no one to throw the ball to. And he got sacked late in the down. To me, that was just brilliant. That's yeah. what that's a Brian Flores play. And that, that, to me, speaks to the kinds of things that they do.
1: Yeah, I mean, you go through, like, uh, the first half, they were 0 for 6 to start the game on third down. Uh, a bunch of those mugged looks. You had a sack. You had a couple checkdowns. You had free hitters where the quarterback panics. But Greg, I mean, one of the big things you would say about like a Brian Flores defense, when you look at it in Miami, it was like, oh, they're going to, they're going to blitz a lot and they're going to play a lot of man coverage, zero reps of cover one uh, this week against the Tampa yeah. Bay Bucks, And that's the other thing is like, if they're, they're going to continue to mix up coverage looks and uh, you know, all the different pre-snap disguises, it's. Again, that's a lot to work through as
0: a quarterback. It's funny you say that because I said Vikings did not feature man coverage as a foundation of their coverage versus Bucks. Cover two was much more foundational, as were zone concepts overall. And you hit it on the head. They did a lot of cover two invert, which you described really well. So we won't need to go into that again. But, you know, I just thought they did some really good things. You nailed it, Fran, with the idea of what you see, you know, before the snap is rarely what you get after the snap. Now, the one advantage the Eagles have, which obviously the Bucks didn't have is if Jalen Hurts really feels like he's not getting a clear picture, he can run and and the Vikings defense has to, has to prepare for that. They did not have to prepare for that against Baker Mayfield.
1: Well, the, the big thing is, you know, we mentioned like the amount of speed that they have on the field. They like going into big nickel, as you mentioned. They go into dime uh, yep. a decent amount as well. Um, let's talk through just the usage on the back end, just, just so our listeners can come to uh, uh, be familiarized with some of these uh, some of these guys on the back end here. They signed Byron Murphy previously with the Arizona Cardinals. He was one of the big free agent additions. Yep. he was their their
0: pure nickel corner,
1: uh, and in base he lined up on the outside. At uh, times kid, he was a
0: safety, though. There were snaps in which he was a safety. Work well.
1: play and playing those invert coverages where he's playing, yeah. he's underneath and then he comes back out uh, as a too high safety. Um, so Harrison Smith, everybody's uh, you know familiar with him at this point. Cameron Bynum and Josh Medalis. You mentioned a uh, medalist earlier. Uh, talk through uh, the usage for these two backup safety or these, uh, the, the second and third
0: safety there for Minnesota. Well, Bynum came out of Cal. He was a corner at Cal. He was, a, corner. He was yep. a really, really good football player. I really liked his tape, but I wasn't sure if he was a corner in the NFL just because he of couldn't the run. Yep, yep. But he was a really good. Uh, do you remember him coming oh, out? Yeah. Yep. Don't don't you remember him as just being a really good football player?
1: Yeah, you just did, he was really physical. He was a longer corner, six foot, two hundred pounds, We he had good size. Uh the intangibles were there, but it was all, you know, I, he just I don't didn't know if run the, well enough for the Suddenness yep. and the
0: juice you want from an outside corner. Yep. Um, so they he, last year he became a starting safety, and uh, he's a very good football player. And I thought um um I thought he played downhill in the run game really, really effectively. There were a number of plays where I thought he came downhill, you know, running the alley, as we like to say, and made tackles. I mean, one-on-one tackles and and they were clean, you know, it wasn't like he was struggling to make them. Um, So I really like him. And then, what I was really happy to see, because I love this kid coming out of USC, their dime corner, and he played left corner on the outside, was Blackman, okay? Now, I loved his tape coming out of USC. I was really happy when he got drafted in the third round, and, you know, obviously he had a good camp because he's their dime corner. So, um, you know, these are these are good players. This defense is going to be much, much better than it was a year ago.
1: Yeah, and that's what was fascinating too is that at, in that corner room, they, yeah, they signed Byron Murphy, but you know a lot of people had questions in, in the offseason, like oh, like a uh, Caleb Evans, is he really a starter? Are they going to lean on the rookie third round pick Blackman? He's only he's like 175 pounds, like is he big enough to hold up? Yeah. Uh, so all right, yeah, well, you, you have questions about our corners. We're not going to play one man to man. We're just going we're going to play all these different funky zone coverages and uh, you know p- force the issue up front and, and make you kind of sort things out. And so that that's going to be the big test here. Uh, and also, our uh, we'd be. Miss if we did not mention our old friend jordan hicks uh, patrolling the middle of that defense who, who plays uh, a
0: lot of snaps he's probably the stability there yes you know, because um you know they played a lot of big nickels so you know he was often um you know with a five-man front so he was often the only linebacker um, yep. and then when they did play another linebacker a lot you know a number of snaps went to Asamoah, the second year player out of oklahoma so he's obviously not as, as understanding of nfl as, as hicks is you know Hicks and Ivan Pace. By the way, Ivan rookie, Pace, yep. I thought he played really well in this game.
1: Yeah, and, uh, rookie, undrafted free agent out of Cincinnati, who was like an undersized, like kind of run and chase, but really violent. Uh, he was a fun player, a good blitzer. Um, he's of the frame, It was why he went undrafted, and he didn't test all that well. So, uh, but he, he's a fun player, and he, he showed up in this game
0: without question. I really, I enjoyed watching him. But, uh, but this is, you know, again. It's only three days now, so, you know, we'll see what the Eagles do when they come out Thursday night. Hey, they could come out and be great, you know, as they were a year ago, and they could be phenomenal. And we all go, okay, nothing. Or they could come out and struggle again against a really difficult defense to play against. You know, it's one of those things where you just don't know till we play the game. It's
1: also one of those things too. You know, Minnesota was undefeated last year in one score games. The, they have their first one score game here this season, and they fall. They go zero one now. Uh, they don't want to go zero and two in Minnesota, right? So yeah, and they're going to have revenge on their mind after the way that game went last year. Um, so that's uh, you got know, you got to be ready for this team. Uh, the other big thing too, they they stopped the run really really well. Now Tampa Bay was not a yeah. good run team last year. Uh, we'll see if they're going to end up being a run team this year. But um, that's also something to just keep in mind is that this is a team. This is a defense that stopped the run at a very high clip this past week against Tampa. So uh, just something else to kind of monitor here in terms of their way to be able to attack that Vikings defense. Let's go over to the other side. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, the head coach, Wes Phillips, an offensive coordinator, Kirk Cousins, a quarterback. So that same triumvirate returns here in 2023. Uh, What were your thoughts on what you saw from Cousins in this past game, uh, this past week against Tampa?
0: Yeah, you know, it was it was really interesting to me because, uh, I, I, you know, they only scored 17, but I didn't feel like their offense was bad. Now, obviously, they were totally out of whack in terms of their run-pass ratio. Um, obviously, I don't know if Kevin O'Connell, as he looks back on this game, thinks, oh, I should have tried to run the ball more. You know, they didn't have great success running it, but they had some success. You know, it wasn't if they just got shut down. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously they had a couple of turnovers, which, you know, every coach are, is going to tell you are a killer. They had the the, the um, uh, forced fumble on the Windfield sacked in the third yep. possession where it was a great design pressure wow, by man, Todd they got Bowles home a
1: couple and his t- Tampa Bay broke them down a few times in protection for some big hits on Cousins.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, they, well, they do. I mean, Todd Bowles does a great job with zone pressures. He's yep. a big zone pressure guy. You know, we've talked over the years about zone pressures and man pressures. Todd Bowles is a zone pressure guy. And so people understand what that means. It means that behind that, you're playing some form of zone match coverage, Mm. not just pure man. Um, And they just couldn't pick up Winfield. I mean, they broke down the protection, but they're really good with those overload pressures. Um, It'll be interesting to see if uh, Sean DeSai sees some of that and feels like, hey, let's add a little bit of that to what we do, we won't know that till Thursday night. But they they were really good with those in this game. And then, of course, the interception Cousins threw at the end of the first half, which was you know a, a really really bad one, um, as you know. So you know those two plays, any coach is going to say, hey, you do that, you know, it's going to really hurt your chances for winning.
1: Yep. No, uh, I think that that was certainly something that came back to bite them uh, in terms of this game uh, individually. But, um, you know, overall, like you mentioned, I didn't think that the offense uh, had a poor performance, especially you look at the past game and, uh, you know, play action was a big weapon yeah. for them. Uh, that showed up very well. Uh, you look at the way they were able to spread things out from an empty set standpoint. They did yeah. some really creative things that way to create some explosive plays in the past game. Uh, the well-designed shot play to Jordan Addison was a great cover four beater. Wouldn't shock me if we saw concepts like that going up against the Eagles. and Yeah, certain well,
0: that's, spots. that scissors concept against cover four is really difficult to defend no. because you just put the safety and the corner in such a bind because they have rules, but it really kind of messes with their rules because cover four, as you know, Fran, is really man with rules. At some point, you have to match up in cover four. So it's really just man with rules and it kind of messes with your rules.
1: Yeah, and uh, Eagles fans may remember, uh, especially the listeners of this podcast, Quez Watkins had that big play touchdown against the that Vikings was, last year. They
0: also messed up cover four as well. Say, same, very, very, very similar
1: concept uh, yep. with those two teams. So, um, you know, Jordan Addison, he is a guy, look, uh, known for his ability to create separation, win one-on-one, and in that the post-draft press conference after Kevin O'Connell and they, the Vikings selected Jordan Addison, they said, look, we know that Justin Jefferson's going to get a lot of extra attention. We need you to win your one-on-ones. And, and that's what they're asking from him. That's what they're asking from TJ Hawkinson, who they gave, you know, the richest tight end contract in the history right. of the NFL just a few weeks back. Uh, they're asking those guys to win one-on-one if Justin Jefferson is going to
0: get that extra attention. No question. So uh You know, and Jefferson, I mean... He's good. Obviously... He's He's a great player. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Eagles, you know, beat them week two and handled them no problem a year ago. That was a long time ago. You know, Jefferson had come off two really good seasons, but he wasn't quite Justin Jefferson yet. I mean, and then as last season progressed, it just became evident that this guy is special, special. And teams started doing a lot of different things to try to you know help take him away so i'm going to be very curious how the eagles decide to play this you know they're not going to do the same thing they did a year ago they have a different defensive coordinator jefferson is better um you know they've got they they have different weapons i mean addison can beat you over the top you can't just you know whereas thielen really couldn't a year ago so it's going to be really interesting to see what how the eagles you know go about doing that
1: Yeah, I think when you look at at Jefferson and even in this game, like Tampa Bay, like they did things to try and take him away as well in terms of like playing two man coverage to his side and try and, uh, you know, give that corner some help. And he still finds ways to win uh, because they they expect it. Right. So they're going to have him run routes that defeat those kind of coverage concepts.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and the thing is, is he's beaten, uh, you know, brackets. You know, a lot of teams play two-man against Jefferson because two-man, in a sense, gives you over-the-top help. So right. you're underneath, you know, your corner can basically tailgate him or undercut him because he has help over the top. But Jefferson is so good, Fran, as you know, and we talked about this as well on Eagles Game Plan. You know, when I was talking about this with Mike Quick, um, he's just a rare, a rare receiver in that – he doesn't have to shorten his stride or slow down his stride at the top of his route stem to break. And if you don't have to do that, man, that is that's really good. I mean, that's that's rare you know, I think Devonta Smith is like that too, by the way, you yep. know, he just weighs 35, 40 pounds less than Jefferson, but it's why I, I think Devonta Smith is a great, great receiver as well. But sure. Jefferson, you know, he's six, two, and he's over 200 pounds. And with that size. And ever since I started watching him, even going back to college at LSU, he's only six to, I say only six, two, that's tall for receiver, but he looks like he's six, five on Plays tape. bigger than that.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of Addison coming out?
0: I liked Addison. You know, again, he was 173 pounds, but I thought he was a three-level dimension. I thought he had really good quickness in and out of breaks. Um, I, I watched him as well the year before when he was at Pitt, and he caught, you know, 100 balls. Um, I, I really liked his tape, and I, I thought he'd be a really good receiver. So, you know, I I, I like him. And and you know what? I really like K.J. Osborne. I got to tell you that yeah. as well. Yeah. I, I, I watched him when he came out of the U, um, and he transferred there after spending the early part of his career, uh, career at Buffalo. Buffalo, um, yep. And uh, I really like, I think he's a quality NFL receiver. They've yeah, got three good receivers.
1: Yeah. You, you have those three. I mentioned Hawkinson already, and he can do a lot of things for them in the past game. Uh, I would encourage our listeners go back and listen to a discussion. Ben Fennel and I had in the summer, uh, basically looking at that Vikings offense, Um after the trade of Hawkinson and what he did for them and how numbers changed and usages changed. They, they played uh, a lot more 12 personnel, which then made sense, Greg, when they go out and they signed Josh Oliver uh, in the off season and they gave him a, they gave him a good contract. Josh Oliver, uh, one of the best blocking tight ends in football uh, from the Baltimore Ravens. They bring him in and uh, he's going to be like, kind of like that inline presence to allow Hawkinson to be that big movement player. So uh, I think that they view that as kind of like a, an enhancer of Hawkinson's game.
0: You know, and it's funny because I remember watching Josh Oliver in college. I don't think he's a terrible receiver either.
1: No, he was a great red zone weapon. He had like he was a four. I mean, I know that he's a really good
0: blocker, but it's not like he's an old school nineteen eighties tight end that can't run or move or catch the football.
1: No. Uh, What are your thoughts on this O-line? Obviously, it was kind of a bugaboo for them uh, years ago, but they put a lot of assets into it. So a lot of high picks here uh, between day one and day two.
0: They got beat this week a couple of times because they they were out-schemed. But I think if you're just talking about individual players, um, you know, again, I'm not charting every play. And I don't want to say something that, you know, the the Brandon Thorns or the Duke Manny Weathers would tell me I'm wrong. I think it's a good old line. I'm not sure. I love the center. You know, I, I think he, he's a little bit, I, when I watch their tape, I struggle with him, but like I said, I'm not charting every play.
1: You know, I, the, the guy that stands out that, uh, you know, he continues to get better. And I thought he flashed a couple of times in this game was Ezra Cleveland, left guard, uh, former tackle at Boise state, where they yep. shifted inside kind of a long lean build. He's six, six, three, 10. I thought he was a tackle all the way in college. And they moved him into garden. He's, He's gotten steadily better. Uh, you, you put him next to Darasol. You have Brian O'Neill, who they gave a big contract to. Um, the right guard, Ed Ingram. And I struggled. liked him a
0: lot coming out of LSU when he was a starter from day one last year. And he had moments where he struggled, which you would yeah. expect. Yeah. But right. I think he's an, a solid football player.
1: Yeah, that's the the one area where, you know, you, like I said, he, he kind of struggled last year and he had, he had his moments uh, as well in this game against Tampa. Um, but that might be an area uh, for the Eagles to try and see if they can attack inside. So uh, you mentioned like, all right, at center and right guard, is that a, a little bit of a weak point here uh, for the Eagles who, you know, we just talked, we, we led this discussion off. Uh, right. We're talking about those defensive tackles, the guys on the inside. And so um, that would be something to watch here moving forward into this matchup. Greg, is there anything else? Uh, did we empty the notebook here uh, on this game for Thursday night?
0: Oh, there's always plenty more to talk about, yeah, right. you know, that, but I think we're in pretty good shape, you know, I so. uh, I'm just, I'm, I guess what I'm most, most anxious to see is the Eagles offense now, you know, um, they got their feet wet and, uh, uh, literally and figuratively in that game uh, yeah, yeah, on, right. on Sunday. We and, do. uh, you know, you, I think everybody would expect them to be a little bit better. Um, you know, I just want to mention one other thing about the Vikings offense, yeah. um, You know, obviously, Madison is their number one back, but I was a big fan of Chandler coming out of uh, North Mm. Carolina. He was a transfer from Tennessee. I think he's a good combination runner receiver. And while he may not be a quote unquote feature back, you know, you're the guy that's going to play 60 snaps. I think he's a guy you got to be aware of when he's on the field because he can catch the ball.
1: He only had three carries uh, this past week against Tampa, but he had a great preseason and caught a lot of buzz for what he did uh, in the summer. So uh, he will be a guy th- certainly to keep an eye on. You don't you don't want to be his breakout opponent, right? Just like you, know, you don't want Justin Jefferson. Like you could see the storyline being there where it's like, oh, like this is his revenge game, right? Like he had all the hype going into the game last week last year. Darius Slay set him down, uh, and now oh, this is his revenge moment. You don't want to that that to be the headline, right? If you're the Eagles defense going into game. No, this of course game. not. I mean that's why
0: I'm so anxious to see the. Eagles- now maybe their D line will dominate and Cousins will, you know, I'll struggle and you know, and that's the way they'll handle Jefferson. But if yeah. they do protect, um, I'm very curious to see what the Eagles do in the back end with Jefferson. Especially, especially if Josh Job has to play, you know, one corner right. position. Because yeah. even though I like Job's traits, he just has no experience in the NFL.
1: Well, it's like we were talking about last uh, last week with the Patriots trying to test Cam Jurgens. It's like uh, the guy hasn't played. Like you're going to test him. You're going to see what if he's ready for the moment. And So uh, if Josh Job does get the start, they're going they're going to put him to the test quick,
0: without question. That, and that's what's going to. And and the thing about Jefferson, which we should mention just to finish up, is he lines up everywhere. It's not yeah. like hey, he only lines up outside or he only lines up on the right side. You know, or they were he's doing only backfield stuff X. with him last year.
1: What's that? They were doing backfield
0: stuff with him last year too, weren't they? In specific situations, yes, they were. Yeah. Um, often in the red zone. But right. no, he lines up anywhere. So you have to you have to have a to me, you have to have a plan for Jefferson. I don't think you can just play your normal defense no. and say we, we are gonna take care of Jefferson, no problem.
1: Right. Especially now, now you know, a year ago it was a little bit, you know. I agree. And no offense to these guys, like you know, like Johnny Munt was the starter for them at tight end a year ago, right? You, right. you it was a different cast of characters, but when you add in Hopkinson, Hopkinson, you mentioned Addison. him.
0: I didn't. And I'm glad you did. You know, you mentioned him. He's a really good player. You got to be yeah. aware of him, too.
1: Yeah, uh, so it's a, it's a it's a different it's a new look Vikings team coming in, or much yep. different from the one that the Eagles beat up uh, in Week Two last year. Well, Greg, uh, we'll be back next week. Even though the game's Thursday night, we'll still we'll still do our pod next Monday, uh, covering through just kind of stay on schedule here, uh, getting ready for this game and the Eagles' Week Three upon it. That's by my Bucks, who the Vikings just played. So you and I will have some extra film. Well, that's why uh, I, I think it took me so long too to
0: watch that tape. Yes, because I was also very conscious of being very detailed about the Bucks because right. I knew the Eagles were playing them the next week.
1: Yeah, it's uh, the little yeah. inside baseball. Monday, today was a, uh, let's just say this, it's just about nine o'clock on Monday. My night is not over and t- today was a long day and I know it was for you too. So, uh, it was uh, for me, but
0: <laughs> unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for me, unfortunately for you, I'm going to go home now.
1: Yeah, no, uh, me not so much uh, as we uh, <laughs> we get ready for the short week. But Greg, uh, thanks so much for joining us here for Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will talk to you next week.
0: All right, thanks, Fran.
1: All right, so great stuff there from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, at EaglesXOs, that's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on any form of social media. We know that's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen Leave us a rating, leave us a comment. I want to shout out somebody who left us a question. Sean Wolford left a five-star review. Sean is a longtime listener. Sean, great to hear from you. Here's the question. Great show as always, France. So much buzz coming into the season and a question that I've had revolves around the franchise and how they care for their players. When it comes to nutrition, I know some players have personal trainers and chefs and meal plans, but we also hear about the calf at NovaCare and the themed days they have. How much input does the strength and conditioning staff have in the meal plan in the cafeteria or or is it all on the head chef to ensure that they develop a nutritious meal plan that is sustainable for six-plus months for a professional athlete? Sean, that is a great question. Um, we've done a couple pieces over the years. Uh, there are a couple, a couple podcasts. I know Dave Spadaro has done it over on the Eagles Insider podcast at times. We had uh, Eric Montijo, who is uh, one of the, the head people in the inside the cafeteria. He was on Inside Training Camp with myself and Ross Tucker. We talked through that process a little bit. But to answer your question, uh, the strength staff is very involved. There are uh, members of the nutritional staff uh, that are very involved in terms of what is on the menu on a daily and weekly basis and just making sure you're covering all your bases because, again... All players have different body types and different nutritional needs. What you're feeding Devontae Smith is going to look different than what you're feeding Jordan Mailata, right? So uh, all of these guys have different dietary needs, and you're going to make sure you cover all of your bases, and also you want to make sure everything tastes good too and guys are fired up, right? So uh, it's something that certainly they take into account, uh, and there's a a very robust plan that goes into it, and I'll say that that has changed a lot uh, even since I've been here. This is my 13th season here with the Philadelphia Eagles, and I would say that the cafeteria – has always been great, uh, no question. It's always been, we we're always we're well fed uh, here at Novacare but uh, the the plan of attack in terms of like how uh, everything is kind of coordinated with the nutritional needs, with the staff, that has changed so much uh, over the course of the last, uh, you know, three, four coaching staffs, uh, to be certain. It's evolved so, so much over the years. So, Sean, great question, great hearing from you. Thank you, and thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our X's and O's content here with Eagles Entertainment. Thank, that'll do it, though. Another... Showing the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Care Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week.